Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 12th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we kind of like looking at various readings. One of the problems we have in this country is people are trying to figure out, are we going to heaven or are we going to hell? And they know that a lot of times it depends on how righteous they are. And so the question of becoming righteous is really, really important. So where do we look to find out how to become righteous? The Old Testament or the New Testament? I would dare say the vast majority of people would say, the New Testament, because Jesus talks a lot about what righteousness is and how we attain it. But today, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah chapter 23. That is one of the readings for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 18th. 2021. Jeremiah 23, 1 to 6. So if if you're looking for a Bible passage to talk to a friend about the distinction between Christianity and every other religion in the world, this would be a wonderful passage. It begins as all do proper passages with the law. Law and gospel is absolutely critical in understanding the scripture. And what is the law? It isn't just information about what God's will is for us, but it's accusation against us not following God's will. And in this particular case, Jeremiah 23 verse 1 brings law against Well, one could say the pastors of the people. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Now, you got enough in that one sentence to do a whole sermon. Because God, first of all, is giving us a metaphor that he really appreciates namely shepherd and sheep. It's well known, the parable of the lost sheep. There Jesus is the shepherd, and he goes and finds the sheep, picks the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. That's a clear teaching of salvation by Jesus Christ. But A lot of people don't realize that pastors, ministers of the church, are under-shepherds. They're also assigned by God to shepherd. And what are they shepherding? Just sheep? No. The sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Now, 
what would the word pasture refer to? We normally think of it as the place where the shepherd, shepherd takes the sheep to eat, and they eat wonderful green grass. They stay away from a raging river lest they get drowned with their wool beginning saturated with water. And so this is shepherds whom God is saying are scattering the sheep. They're not keeping them together and they're not keeping them in the pasture of God. So what's the pasture? The pasture would be the kingdom of God. The Holy Christian Church is God's pasture because there we receive both food and liquid. The liquid can be referred to as baptism. God uses water not to destroy us as he did many of the evil unbelievers in the days of Noah, but instead to raise us up. Because we are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of the Holy Christian Church. And all you need to do is start reading the newspaper or going through the internet and seeing how many pastors have scattered the sheep. And how do they do that? By saying a word that isn't a word from Scripture. I mean, take a look how many women pastors there are. A perfect example of an abomination before Almighty God. Only males are to be pastors. And so the very fact that a woman is seen to be a pastor shows that she's going against the word of God. And then look at how many women pastors are teaching false teaching, as well as male pastors. There are actually so-called pastors, I don't consider them pastors, but they think they are, who teach that it's okay to have homosexual rights. It's okay to have an abortion. It's okay, and they have a whole list of what we would consider to be immorality. This is the way the sheep are scattered. And they're not only scattered by so-called shepherds who do not give the law against these practices, but are silent about this. How, how many sermons have you heard where a pastor will explain how parents are to deal, say, with a daughter or a son who is on drugs. I mean, that is a responsibility of the parent to help their child through that terrible situation. And yet, there aren't those many sermons talking about that. And part of that, if you talk to some pastors, is they don't want to divide the congregation. Well, Jesus had no problem, even div causing division with his own, within his own disciples. Get thee behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. And there's many other occasions 
when he reprimands the disciples for their attitude. So, Jeremiah starts off with the law against shepherds who are scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And by the way, the word Lord in the English, and I'm looking at the ESV, each letter is capitalized. What does that mean? It means it's referring to the name of God that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai by Jesus Christ, who is the angel of the Lord. He says, I am who I am, Yahweh. And the way a lot of Bibles put that is they capitalize each letter of the word Lord. Going on with verse 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord, all capitalized, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people. Now, that tells the purpose of a shepherd, under shepherd, pastor, and that is to care for the people. There are those who don't care because they aren't sharing the proper message and giving the proper food to the sheep in God's pasture. They've decided that it's their pastor, pasture, and therefore they can do whatever they want in their pasture, changing the commandments of God to suit their sinful natures. So God says to those who have been assigned to care for the people, you're not caring for them. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. I remember when I was getting ready to become a pastor, I had a wonderful pastor that I was attending his church. And he would say, you know, in the minds of a lot of people, all that a pastor has to do is visit the sick, visit those who are shut-ins, and do confirmation for the youth. And, and they will thank the congregation that a pastor has accomplished his mission. Well, that's not correct. And that was his point, is that a pastor is kind of on charge 24 hours a day. He may get a call with somebody who is depressed, uh, somebody who may even be considering suicide, or somebody who's having problems with the family, with others in the neighborhood, with co-workers. And it is the task of the pastor to care for these people. Now, how does the pastor care for people in all these situations? He shares the word of God with them. For example, I got a call recently from a longtime listener, lived in another state, lives in another state, and she had been reading 
a pretty good book by a Christian, and he has a lot of good things to say. But then he came to a point where he was talking about that even when we're dealing with immoral people, we still need to respect them and give them dignity. And she wanted to know from me as to whether or not I agreed with that attitude. I don't respect the behavior of such people. Let's put it this way. The example I gave her, you're a shopkeeper and you have your daughter watching your shop. Uh, Maybe it's a little grocery store and a robber comes in, goes to steal the money and then shoots your daughter. And then the pastor comes to you and says, well, you must still respect the person who shot your daughter. You still have to give him dignity. I've been trying to figure out why do people think this way? Because the fact of the matter is they believe that human beings are made in the image of God. Now, that is a mistake. A human beings were created in his image. But since the fall of Adam and Eve, every person born is a sinner. They have original sin. They are not in the image of God. And that's why God sets up his pasture, his heavenly kingdom, to restore the image of God to these people. Now, in other religions, the way that is done is by teaching them to behave properly, to do good things. And that is so sad that works become the means of salvation, your works. And we're going to take a look how that isn't true. So what's God going to do with these false shepherds who have scattered his flock? Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. You see, he just finished saying that they have not attended to his flock to care for them. So God's now going to attend to them. And you can see this in churches that have false preachers. They they may grow because people love to have their egos praised. They love to hear that they are capable of saving themselves. They, They don't want to go to a church where they're going to hear that they're poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But that's the message of the law. So how's he going to attend to the shepherds? Well, as you know, many of the shepherds or under-shepherds of Israel were also taken into captivity. The northern tribes by Samaria, and the southern tribes by Babylon. They, too, were put 
into slavery. But what did God do with the remnant of his flock? Now, that's very important phrase in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock. So if they're part of his flock, then they are those who are still believers. And he's going to gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them. Why did he drive them to other countries? To wake them up to the false teaching that they were hearing, that it was not going to help them at all. And so therefore, it's kind of like a parent disciplining a child. It is kind of an alien work the parent does because that's not how a parent is to be towards the child. If the child always thinks that the mom or dad is somebody who's going to judge them at all times and punish them, then that's a wrong view of parenthood. Their proper task is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So God says he's going to bring back those sheep that are a remnant of his flock and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Verse 4, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now, how does a good shepherd take away fear? Well, the greatest fear that human beings have is what's going to happen when I die. Many believe that they're just going to go out of existence. That's what the Sadducees believe. They did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. But those who believe that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead, they're worried. Where am I going to be? Am I righteous enough to be saved? And during a liturgy, they kind of confess they are not righteous enough to be saved. And so they are in dismay. How does a proper pastor take away their fear? Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, again capitalized, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about none other than Jesus. Remember, Jesus was at Mount Sinai talking to Moses. He is considered the angel of the Lord in his pre-incarnate state before he became a human being. 
He definitely existed. His name is Yahweh, the Lord. And he is from the house of David. But he is that righteous branch, will reign as king, and he will deal wisely. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, now notice that. He's not an example to follow, so you can be righteous. No, he is the one who brings the righteousness. And therefore, verse 6, remember, this is still talking about Jesus. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. Now, I thought Judah and Israel were taken into captivity. Well, the Judah and Israel he's talking about, as he just explained, they are the remnant of his flock. They are those who were believers in him, who trusted his promises, who believe his word. And that's how they are saved, Judah and Israel. Then comes probably the most important part of the passage in its entirety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You won't find that statement in any other religion. If other religions talk about God being righteous, then the way you become righteous is by following the example of God in doing good works. And that's how a lot of sermons end. They'll end with what I refer to taught at the seminary as French or salad endings. That is, may we or let us. That, that is a horrible way to end a sermon because that is the law. The law is saying, may we therefore change our behavior. Uh, let us begin to do good works. Now, there's no doubt that that can be mentioned during a sermon. But to end on that note is to end again with a command. And why is that, how is that command heard? It's heard by people by saying, well, if I want to get to heaven, may I do this or let us do that. No, we need to end on the gospel. And there is no better passage than Jeremiah 23. Verse 6, the Lord is our righteousness. Children can talk that way about their parents. When I was born, my parents are the source of my food. They're the source of my clothing. They're the source of my bed. They are the ones who care and protect me. 
parents are put in jail who do not properly care for their children, allowing them to starve or beating them unnecessarily. Proper parents are therefore doing what God wants them to do. The Lord is our righteousness can be also paralleled to the parents are my salvation. In a sense, can you imagine a parent bringing home a newborn child, putting it in its crib, and then not attending to it for a week? The child will be dead. The parent have been given this gift, but they don't take care of such a child from God. So when we say the Lord is our righteousness, that's the source, source of our righteousness. God is who declares us righteous. And like every other religion in the world, where their gods declare them righteous by their behavior, God declares us righteous by the behavior of Jesus Christ. It's his works that save us. Why? Because when he died on the cross, he was taking upon himself the results of our sin. He died as our substitute. And therefore, in his resurrection, transfers his righteousness to us. You are going to heaven, not because of your personal righteousness, but because of a righteousness given you by God, which is his righteousness. Why? Because you trusted in the promises of the gospel. And those promises mean that heaven is your home. So, Jeremiah 23, a wonderful Old Testament passage to share the greatest message the world has ever heard, that the Lord is our righteousness and heaven is our home. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll take a look at a hymn that speaks of that, the church's one foundation. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.